Well, you know, you may be clapping because it's the last time you have to hear from me, but I'm going to assume it's because you're, you're happy that I get to speak one more time. That's what I'm going to assume right now. You know, 20 years, I was thinking about this. How do you talk about 20 years in 30 minutes? And the answer is you can't. So I'm going to go an hour and a half tonight. We'll take a break. We'll come back and finish, okay? So uh, no, seriously, uh, it was interesting because Dave said to me, you know, hey, it's your last time speaking. And he had really specific directions. He said, hey, for, for you, very precisely, I, I want you, here's what I want you to talk about, whatever you want. <laughs> so I've prepared a 12-page list of grievances that I would like to publicly put in front of you because what, are they going to fire me? <laughs> anyway, no, I, I seriously, uh, I started thinking about what I wanted to talk about in this last time. It's kind of interesting because uh, I don't want to step on that. You know, what, where do you start? And so I began thinking about where I am right now, you know, at this specific time in my life. And then even thinking about where our family, my family is at this time and where, where K2 is and where the church in America is right now. And it's kind of interesting if you, if you really reflect on that. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a sobering process. And then I, but then I started thinking about even, you know, the past few years, and we're all where, you know, we're here. Thank God that, that Southeast has given us a place to meet. It's not where we ultimately think we're going to be, but it's been, it's been an interesting time. And then I started thinking about my, my 20 years here at K2. And uh, it, it's, when I think about it, it's all very exciting. And I think about what's ahead for me. It's very, very exciting. And it's also a little overwhelming. And if I'm not careful, when I think about the things that are unknown that are in front of me, it can produce anxiety. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. And so I tell you that because this, this, these two verses I want to share, and these are going to be the kind of the structure of how I want to talk to you today. Uh, the, these two verses over the last five years or so have become super valuable, super important in my life, in pursuing God and pursuing his call in my life and facing anxiety. Because... <laughs> If we're honest, I would say probably most of us, if not every one of us, at some point in our life has had a spiritual sense of anxiety and not sure what to do. So that's what I want to talk about. And here's what's interesting, why, why these verses are so important is because it gives the antidote to anxiety. It actually, and when you think about, you know, think about like a, uh, how, how do we get over anxiety? You know, there's medicine you can take and that's a good thing or you can, you know, concentrate on your breathing and there, there are different things you can do. But when, when we think about getting over our anxiety, we, we actually think more like solutions to this. If I, if I just knew the solution to this problem, I wouldn't have anxiety. If I, if I had the provision for what this issue is, I wouldn't have the anxiety. Or if I, you know, if I had the clarity around this situation, I wouldn't be anxious. If I, if I had the resolution to this conflict, I wouldn't be anxious. But the bio, this, this, these two verses don't talk about any of that stuff. And I'm going to read it to you. And then I just want to talk today in the framework about these two verses, and I'm going to tell Bible story, Don, so maybe you'll be happy again one more time. So here's the verse. It's Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and it says this, Do not be anxious or worried about anything, 
but in everything, every circumstance and situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. And the peace of God, that peace which reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus is yours. See, the antithesis of anxiety is peace, right? And how do we get the peace? Well, there are two things in this verse, two things. The first thing is that we trust in God because we make our requests known to our specific requests. We ask God, and I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. But the second half is what? With thanksgiving. Peace comes to us as we are thankful. That doesn't seem right, but it is. And so what I wanna do is just, I wanna just start by talking about, first of all, what are the the, uh, exceptions you can make for being anxious? There aren't any. Every situation, every circumstance, we can be free of anxiety by putting our trust in God and being thankful to him. And I just thought that's the framework. I wanna first talk about being thankful. And, uh, you know, I almost did, I, when I got up here, I was like, maybe we should just not give a message and just carry on with the blessing. I was, I was enjoying that. That was fantastic. It's the best it's ever been. But since I did all this work, I might as well talk through this anyway. But so the first, I, I just want to talk about Kensington Community Church. And a lot of you guys, Dave mentioned them, Susie mentioned them. A lot of you guys don't know this church, but I want to just say thank you to them because Kensington had a vision to reach people who were nuns, people non-affiliated, people who were done with church, people who'd cycled out of church, people who didn't care, people who did care, and even me. And they had a vision to plant churches to spread the message of Jesus Christ. So I want to say thanks to them. And then I want to say thanks to Dave. 20 plus years ago, Dave, you took a chance on saying yes to me being part of the team that could help launch this place. And I'm stoked still. And I, just even for allowing me to lead teams, to lead services, to lead, lead designing experiences for people to connect with each other and with God, thank you for taking a chance. I mean, then just, you know, probably about a decade ago, I remember being in the office and saying, Dave, I, got, I want to take a next step. And you said, all right, what is that? And I'm like, well, let me try teaching. Let's see how it goes. And you said, all right. You took a chance on me. I want to say thank you. And then I think about our past and our current board. Thank you for the same thing. You, you, believing in me, you've reached out to express care and love and support, partnership through the years. Thank you, board. And our past arts volunteers and staff, I was just counting these. We have almost 15 people. You saw some of them, people you've probably never met. We saw about, about 15 different staff members that have been specific to the arts and literally hundreds of volunteers within the arts making Sundays and now Saturdays happen. They began thinking about all those people, those camera operators and the video directors and the, and the back of house audio engineers and the front of house audio engineers and the video creators and the editors and, and, and all of these other positions, web and app and all these things and many positions you guys don't even know happen all the time. And I wanna to say to all those people, thank you for taking a chance and for bearing with us. And then for you all that are sitting here or you that are on watching Today, I want to say thank you to you for allowing me to grow as a leader, a leader of a, of a ministry, 
a worship leader. I'll tell you that. This isn't in the notes, so danger. But here's, let me just tell you this. I do remember the first time I ever led worship, and someone said it tonight. It was at Rebecca and Bill Green's house. And I had never led worship before ever in my life, ever. And Dave, you called me, we were meeting on Friday. You called me on Thursday. You say, hey, dude, why don't you just lead a couple worship songs? And I was too proud to say, I don't know any. (laughs) So what I said instead was, sure. (laughs) I had a recording session that night, so I couldn't even look at the stuff. And I had to work the whole next day. I remember, this is the most profound memory. I was you, Eric, that said this. The most profound memory I have. We're sitting in a circle in their, in their uh, living room, and I'm trying to lead. I have no idea where this song is going. I get so lost. I finally just stop playing. And Rebecca Green, thank God, says, you know, we can sing without the guitar. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And I put the guitar away. And for some reason, Dave still thought it was a good idea to have me come lead our team. <laughs> anyway... And for many of you who've taken the chance on the, and celebrating with those great ideas that we had and those bearing with us when we thought we had great ideas to try on Sundays, thank you. And just for all of you who've prayed and, and finally for a small little group that we have, the Conversation SLC team who are feeling the call of God to join the Conversation and continue to reach people with a new method. Thank you to you all. That's point one. The sec- And for everyone else that I forgot, thank you. But now what I want to do is I want to talk through this sort of prayerful request and show you an example of how we can trust in God and place our trust in him as we move forward in following him into our call. And it's kind of interesting because it's a full circle experience. I want to use this story. Do you probably remember this? When we, before we moved out here, Dave said, hey, team, you guys got to get this book. It's called Seizing Your Divine Moment. So we started reading this book together. And there's this story that he brings out. He highlights about Jonathan, who's the son of King Saul, the very first king in Israel. And we read through this. And so this It was a whole full circle moment for me as I began thinking about that story and how it impacted our moving out here and how relevant it is for us today as we're trying to pursue God's call in our life. And so I'm gonna just talk to you about this story for a minute. Let me give you the backstory. By the way, when you're just, this is a little teaching moment here, by the way. If if, When you're reading, we just talked about this at our conversations in the park that we do uh, on on Wednesday night. There's one more left. You can still come if you like. Anyway, We're talking about this, and when you're reading narrative, which is just a story, and the Bible is full of stories, and, and, and I, I gave a trick question. I'm like, so when you read a story, you're supposed to see the character and act like them, right? Right? No. No, you're not. <laughs> because most of the characters outside of Jesus are super jacked up. Like, you're not supposed to go sleep with Bathsheba and kill her husband. You're not supposed to do that. But what you are supposed to do is find yourself in the story. And these stories help us understand how we can relate to God and how we relate to each other in a godly way, in a good way. So I want to tell you this story about Jonathan. He's the son of the first king of Israel, Saul. Now, Saul was selected using the the, the best methods. They picked him because he was taller than everyone and very good looking. As it turns out, 
that wasn't such a solid criteria. See, Saul has some early success, and we're going to pick up the story in the middle of 1 Samuel. They've just defeated the Ammonites, okay? And then some crazy stuff happens because Saul starts to get nervous. We'll talk about that in a second, but he takes matters into his own hands and starts to do things he has no business doing, and he's not following what God's call is. And it creates some pretty big problems for him. You see, the Philistines threaten Saul, and that's when he's like, oh, I feel, I feel really scared. I feel insecure. Look at this. We'll pick up in, in uh, 1 Samuel 13, verse 2. It says this. So Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash. Pay attention. Michmash. That's where he is. And in the hill country of Bethel, and a thousand of them, 2,000 were with him, and a thousand were with Jonathan. How many does he have total? 3,000. He's got 2,000. And they sent the rest of the people back to their homes. These are the fighting men. They said, go home. We just won. Hooray. Now, Jonathan, who's a man of action, his son doesn't like to sit still. And he attacks a Philistine garrison, which is just like this outpost that's in Israel's territory. And he attacks them because he thinks they don't belong on our land and we're letting them stay. And I'm not cool with that. So he goes and he attacks them. Well, he just completely obliterates the garrison, which is cool on one hand, except when the Philistines hear about this, they're lit and they're ready to go. Look at this verse Verses five through seven of First Corinthians of First Samuel chapter thirteen. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with three thousand chariots, six thousand charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped where? Oh, that's where Saul is, right? Oh. And when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and their army was hard-pressed, they hid in the caves and thickets and among the rocks and the pits and the cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed over the Jordan River to the land of Gad and Gilead. They are terrified. And when you make do the math here, they had as many chariots with two people in the chariot as Israel had men ready to fight. And it gets worse in just a second. We'll talk about that. Who wouldn't be terrified? They had foot soldiers as numerous as the sand on the beach. Now, I don't know exactly what that number is, but I have a good idea. It's a lot. So you would, in humanity, be very scared. It's overwhelming. And Saul realizes that his troops are slipping away. Some are actually leaving the battle area, crossing the Jordan River. The rest of them are hiding that's not a motivational look, right? You look at them, oh, okay, where's the team? Uh, well, see that bush? Behind that. And so we'll never know what Saul's thoughts were when he learned the number of men who had remained, but, but we do know this, that the nature of Saul's flaw when pressure came on was this. He wouldn't trust God. And when the pressure was on, he wouldn't wait on God. When the pressure was on, he wouldn't obey God. And that's a big problem. It says, Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking 
with fear. And I would have been too, and so would you. But the story doesn't end there. Because the Philistines were told to send out these raiding troops. They were talks about four different troops that they sent in different directions to raid the Philist or to raid the Israelites. And the Philistines have actually, the, the Israelites are being oppressed by the Philistines, and the Philistines have actually removed all of the blacksmiths from Israel. You know why? Because they don't want Israel to be able to make weapons, it tells us, or even turn farm implements into weapons. And we have two people, it tells us, in the whole fighting crew of Israel that have weapons. Jonathan, Saul, not another weapon. So Jonathan has a great idea. He says this, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his father, See, this is Jonathan's second attack on an outpost that's in a place where he believes it doesn't belong. He goes on to say this, on each, or it says this, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost, there was a cliff, think Red Sea. <laughs> we're walking through the Red Sea at any moment. If these things give, we're done for. The Philistines are camped up on the top of these cliffs and he's walking through the middle. Him and his armor bearer against army with as many people as sand on the beach. <laughs> All right? And it says, so he, he, uh, he's going to cross to reach the Philistine outpost. There was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other was called Senna. And Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. That's an insult. Perhaps the Lord will act. Wait, hold on, what? The Lord will absolutely do what we say. Nope. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Let me make a really, really important point right here. If this was a battle of military power, then Saul was correct in his fear. And the people of Israel were correct in their fear. They were going down. As a matter of fact, Saul decides he's going to count the people again. He realizes now he's only got 600 men left. He has one-fifth as many men as they have chariots. Now, we don't really use chariots in war. Trust me, that's a bad proportion. But what does he say? Perhaps the Lord will act. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. See, Jonathan already understood something really important. If this came down to muscle, we lose. We could have the best plan in the world 600 men don't stand up to the numbers that the Philistines have. We're going down unless God steps in. Let's keep reading here. Chapter 14, verse 8. 
Then John says, this, this is his master plan. This is just so brilliant. Come on then. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. Oh, that great, good move, good move. Let them see us. If they say, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up here to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up and we'll teach you a lesson. Little did they know they were about to teach a lesson in how to lose terribly to a small crew of people because it wasn't based in military strength. Jonathan understood it was based in what God was trying to do. Their strength meant nothing. See, Jonathan had two plans. Plan A, maybe God will step in. Plan B, maybe he won't. That's his plan. Two of us, but the reason that plan is so important for us to understand is because once again, he's saying, we are going to lose unless God is doing something. And what I know is that I'm supposed to not allow the Philistines to oppress us. I'm not supposed to sit idle and be a sitting duck while these people, these uncircumcised, these calls them, are going to move into our land and take over. No, 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 no. I'm going down swinging because God has called me. I'm a fighting man. God has called me to fight and I'm going to do it. Whatever God decides to do is up to him, but I know I'm not supposed to sit idle in fear like my dad is. And let me just tell you something. The church in America, large C church, is losing the battle. It's losing the battle. But you notice what Jonathan has placed his confidence in. He says in in verse six, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. It doesn't matter what the numbers and the proportions are. It matters that God is going to save. And that's where my hope and my trust is going to be. And so Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hand. Wow. So, Their trust and their peace, Jonathan's trust and peace, came from his request to God. God, I'm going to go and I'm going to fight as I'm supposed to fight. I'm not going to sit. I'm not going to hide in a cistern or behind a bush or whatever. I'm going to go. And whatever you decide to do, good. Thank you. I'm going to be part of it. So here's what I want to tell you in closing here. So myself... And a handful of people are feeling called to start a church here in Utah that's doing something different. And what I want to say to each and every person here, maybe as you listen to God, he's saying to you, maybe you should consider being part of that. 
okay? And I want to share, I just, I want to share really quickly three things. If you're feeling like maybe God is speaking to you, asking you to consider joining, there are three things you can do. The first is this, you can pray for us. And that is no small thing. We have a thing that we, we started in our groups, get togethers, it's called 777. At 7 a.m., seven days a week, 7 p.m., pray for us. 7 a.m., 7 p.m., seven days a week, pray for us. That's the first request we have. The second thing is this. Maybe you think God might be asking you to explore more and take a step into following him. Maybe this is something you want to join. We have a fancy pants QR code, I think. Do we have that up here? If you want to scan that, we have cards out in, uh, you can scan those cards out in the lobby and it'll put you, it, just so you know, don't be freaked out. You'll go, it, it's a mailing list you're signing up for just so we can keep, don't be like, oh, he's bait and switch. No, I'm asking you if you're interested to sign up so I know how to get in touch with you, okay? That's, what, that's how that works, right? <laughs> so don't, don't be freaked out. Third thing is maybe you're thinking you want to contribute financially. Again, we have a QR code out in the lobby at the information booth. There's a, a card. You can scan that card if you want to give. And here's what I want to say. If, you're, if you feel like, you should, you, like God is asking you to give, make sure that you're not diverting the money that you're planning to give to K2 to me. I don't want it. I don't want the money that belongs to K2. This is above and beyond outside of any giving you're doing with K2. Keep that money in your pocket and give it to the church here, okay? I want to be really clear on that. But if you are feeling that, you can, okay? And so here's what I think, though. I think that the number of people who probably are going to join from this congregation or who are watching online is the minority. So the rest of you are completely off the hook. Mm -mm. No, not at all. If you don't feel as though God is calling you to join, great. First of all, don't join if God is not calling you to do it. But if you don't feel that God is asking you to join, here's what I want you to know. Listen carefully. I know that God is calling every single person in this room between eight and 88 to take a step of faith into a deeper calling and understanding of what he has for you and his church in this place. And if you are at K2, stop sitting behind the bushes and step into a calling that is gonna make K2 flourish like never before. Move into your calling. Whether you're eight or 80, be the person at your school, on your sports team. Be the dad, the boss, the employee, the brother, the wife, whatever it is where you hear God calling you to say, I'm taking a step. You're not off the hook if you don't come with me. You just have to figure out what God's calling you to and you have to faithfully move into that. No sitting on the bleachers in fear. So, and how, what, what about if I get anxious about that? Oh, I have a solution. In everything, every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your specific request known to God. 
And I want to just do two, I want to read two quotes that come from that book, Seizing Your Divine Moment. If you've never read it, you're missing out, go get it, read it. Two quotes from that book by Erwin McManus. The first is this. We have defined holiness through what we separate ourselves from rather than what we give ourselves to. I'm convinced that the great tragedy is not the sins that we commit, but the life that we fail to live. The church is losing. I'm not talking about K2. Your Jonathan needs to be awakened and you need to step into your next call to make whatever you hear from God your place of making a difference. And the last quote is this, and then I want to pray with you and for you. Erwin McManus says this, until our bodies return to dust, there will always be a voice crying out within us to move from existence to life. Existence to life. And you will never be living as long as you avoid taking risky steps into your next call that God has for you. So here's what I want to do. Will you guys close your eyes? Now I just want to pray over every person here. And I want you to listen to what God has to say to you. Lord Jesus, we actually lift our hands. We empty ourselves of anything we're holding on to that's keeping you from giving us what we actually should be holding on to. And whatever it is, whatever it is you want us to do, whether it's joining the church or whether it's doubling down on my efforts here, whether it's going somewhere, whether it's being an influence in my relationships with people around me, God, reveal that to me and give me the courage to fight against the anxiety and the trust in you and the thankful heart that will lead me into your call on my life and ultimately lead me to where you designed me to be living. And here's what I want to do. I just want you guys, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. And here's what you're going to say in your head to God. What do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? And then I want you to do it. Let me just sit quietly now. Jesus, awake the Jonathan within us that's called to fight for your name and for your glory. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds and our resistance and our will. Be clear with your voice and let us be humble to follow you no matter what that is into. And as we face anxiety and fear, stress, and all the things that say, don't do it, all those things, we trust you with thankful hearts. And we say, no, Lord, we're going to follow you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.